Hello and welcome to podcast number three of the Life of Riley Autism and Us. Uh, this week we're going to be talking all about food, um, one of my favourite subjects. Um, I'm quite a specialist in it. I like to eat quite a lot. Um, there's not many things that I don't like, but that can be a very different story for many other people. Um, autistic people, not just autistic people, Many children get deemed as picky eaters or whatever, but sometimes it can be a little bit more than that. And I know for you, Alison, um, Jay's eating habits was one of the first indicators for you that Jay was autistic. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, it certainly was. So for us um, and around our kind of journey with autism, what happened there was the actual food and eating problems that Jay had, that was the biggest indicator and the first indicator that Jay had autism. So um, as a baby, Jay would only eat baby jars, isn't well normal, and baby milk and stuff, but he didn't progress and wean as a as a toddler sort of would. So where's looking at stuff, um, looking into it and wondering why, you know, my... Uh, two-year-old was extremely picky eater I came across the books and looking on the internet and it said that the food uh, versions that he kind of displayed could be connected with autism mm. so yeah so I had that is something that obviously hadn't crossed my mind before so of course when I was telling um, family and, and friends you know that that might be a bit of a problem when I was going to take medical advice, which obviously if any child has a problem around food, we can't just assume it is anything really. Yeah. You must get like medical help with that. Um, it was kind of like, oh no, you know, you've, you've just read that. It could be a million things before it could be autism. That's ridiculous and such and such. So yeah. forth. But of course that's exactly uh, what it was and G was diagnosed as I've said before at three years old with autism but food was a massive problem for him and it became a massive problem for us as a family because as a mother your natural instinct is of course to feed your child yes so when he didn't want to eat and he didn't want to eat anything basically apart from what he wanted um, and that was very little amounts it was extremely dis distressing so for Jay up until he was six years old, he actually lived on um, baby jars. Right, okay. So baby food, the, the, the glass jars of baby jars, and one particular kind, brand, variety of that, that is what he lived on. And baby formula milk, which is just awful to start with, but that was what he would drink. And that's it. That was the limit of his diet, which was extremely distressing. So as he was getting bigger, he was eating more baby jars. Mm -hmm. So at one point, I think he was having about seven or eight in one sitting together mm -hmm. to actually like fill that out to make it a kind of age appropriate size meal for him. Yeah. And wash down with all this baby formula. And of course, that still wasn't enough to sustain his weight and to enable him to to put on weight so i was gonna say point, was he underweight he was extremely yeah extremely underweight now jay's always been really tall mm -hmm. for for his age um and he was basically he was skin and bone he was emaciated it was extremely distressful uh obviously we've got medical help with with this um and it was kind of 
it, it all came for him part and parcel along with his autism. So it wasn't kind of looked at. His his physical needs were looked at by the medical profession and it was deemed that he didn't need to be kind of fed or any other arrangements to be made, that this would kind of sort of like happen. Um, and it was it was more distressing for us than anything else because when he was young, if everyone was sitting eating, he would sit and he would watch and you could just tell he wanted to uh. eat. He was absolutely, you know, his mouth is watering. He would watch every mouthful you were taking it. A bit like, you know, my umpteenth attempt at Weight Watchers and Slimming World and stuff. I want to be watching people eating. And that's what he would do. But he just couldn't bring himself to to put that into into his body, up to his lips, to actually touch it. So as an adult, how does G describe his eating problems now? What what was the problem with G? Back then, we now kind of know, and he it was the sensory thing. It was the whole sensory. Overwhelming smells made him feel sick, and the textures mm-hmm. um, would make him feel sick. It was the whole sensory processing just overwhelmed overwhelmed with everything yeah it was and it was just too much for him so and that was part part of his autism obviously it was at the point where foods that he took a particular dislike to whereas you would watch it eating and really want to eat if there was a particular food for example like bread mm-hmm. if you had bread near you he would absolutely you know you wouldn't be able to do that because he would just like swipe it off tables get yeah. it off tabletops stuff like that just anything to get to get it away from him really uh but whilst he was doing that and he basically he was existing on the baby jars and that's what was keeping him alive and of course the formula milk he would also have this thing called pika Mm-hmm. For anyone who doesn't know about that, that is kind of pika is can be quite common in autistic um children. And it's where they won't eat food. It's a medical condition, but they would eat things that give them no nutrients and things that yes. they deem as odd. So Jay's thing was he would, you know, stick his fingers in dream pipes and lick them. Yeah. But he wouldn't have like a meal. And that was kind of the whole pika thing. That was extremely distressing. So one, you've got your child who is behaving in this manner, who you can't feed, you can't naturally, like, you know, nurture like that, and who has this absolute, like, painful aversion to some foods and you know he's wanting to eat it. And it was just absolutely horrific. Yeah. I know when you talk about pika, um, Riley has a thing that he likes to eat, and that is polystyrene. Um, we first discovered it when, and I, I, I didn't actually catch him eating it initially. I noticed at the back of his car seat, little holes, like a little mouse had been at them. Yeah. But it had been him, you know, how they break off into tiny little balls. It had been him munching on them, chewing them. Um, and he still does it now. Like if I'm unpackaging something, his eyes light up. When he says the polystyrene inside, nice bit of tea there, yeah. oh, so we have to, we just get rid of it as quickly as we can because yeah. obviously I don't want my child eating polystyrene. Um, but you know, it's common, the, the chalk, hair, anything, you know, it, anything that's not food. And, uh, you know, there's, like you said, there's no nutrition there. So we don't want them eating that. But it is quite a serious condition. I mean, if they're eating something, they can be toxic or because they can do that also. Well, well, that's it. So Pika 
obviously if it is something that's going to um, be harmful to to the person then that has to be stopped really and it's just really as us as, as neurotypical parents something I just couldn't get my head around that he wouldn't eat these meals that it was like you know in the cooking in the vein hope he would eat and yeah. mashing things up and making it look pretty and do you want this do you want that even tiny amounts but yet he would go and eat in something like quite disgusting yeah it was just just awful and of course if you're limited to a diet um of as Jay was of baby jars and that's smooth paste what then happens is your gagging reflex becomes underdeveloped yeah so when you do want to try and eat or swallow then there's a massive problem around choking, which then puts the fear back into the person that, yeah, I was going to try and eat. I've had a little bit of, one day Jay had a little smidgen of custard cream because mm-hmm. he just decided, you know, he wanted to try it completely out of the blue. But then he choked on it. Yeah. So then you're back to square one. Because the fear's that, back. The fear's back. That reinforces, um, reinforced Jay's kind of knowledge that food was a bad thing for him and, mm-hmm. you know, there you go. He's just choked on us. We was right. So yeah. we're, back, we're back to 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 step one, basically. You know. Also, eating baby jars. The logistics of that, like people don't think about this, but the logistics of that is just amazing. So when we went places, not everywhere you go, restaurants and stuff. Yes, fine. Eat baby jars. Do whatever. But what was the public's perception the when they see yeah. you with a five-year-old child? How? What were they like? Well, very starey. Starey, yes. Starey, and obviously they knew, you know, what, why are they getting like, but not just one jar, they're getting about five years old. Yeah. Kid, you know, what's, Where's what's that carrot sticks? Exactly. How what? dare she? Yeah, what's going on here, you know? Um, and in restaurants and stuff, apart from people staring, of course you can get stuff heated up and whatever. But you try and take your five-year-old, six-year-old, whatever, out. You can't take sandwiches or you can't take, like, snacks as you would for a normal kind of picnic lunch. You've got these baby jars in the middle of nowhere. So you go out to the park or whatever, you go to the beach. What are you doing? Because your child's still got to be fed. Yeah. So we used to have to take flasks of hot water with her all over the place oh, and God. try and kind of warm it up yeah. stand in bowls and like hot water and try and kind of warm it up so you had all of this to pack you had flasks of hot water you had your your baby formula mm-hmm. and thank god when the baby formula became ready um prepared in like the little cartons like milk yes that, well that that was just the best day of my entire life yeah oh yeah so you've got all this and then Think about going on holiday. So we first took Jay um, abroad when he was three. We went to Paris, to Disneyland. So I had to like anticipate what was going to happen. I had to get the jars in bulk in boxes, measure the um, dimensions of the box to tell the airline, you know, about yeah. this fragile parcel on board. That's absolutely fine because you've got your supply for the week or whatever. But I'm sitting on the plane and I am absolutely worried sick. One, what if we run out? 
what if he decides suddenly he's absolutely starving, you know? Is that because the French don't have baby jars? Well, the, well, <laughs> the French baby jars. <laughs> exactly. Baby That's jars another thing altogether. That's another thing. The branding won't be the same because God forbid should the branding change on any food, then we have a massive problem yes so you know when people are marketing the foods or whatever they think oh yeah this makes it more up to date this makes it more appealing oh that it's like a nightmare yeah. it's like what the hell are you doing so anyway i'm thinking what if we can't get to france with with his baby jars what happens if we open this box and they're broke do i just go and try and pick the glass out because i'm so <laughs> desperate you know probably not a great idea what happened yeah and then you're out for the day in the theme parks and you like to see if you, you, you're carting all of these jars and all of these these bottles about and it's just an absolutely awful situation yeah and really really the stress levels because you know it's coming up to my meal time yeah was just through the roof yeah completely through the roof so when did you obviously jay's a great big hulk of a man now he is a huge yes. when did that when did things change for jay so things changed and it was really quite bizarre well bizarre for for us as it happened and again we'd been on holiday we'd had the whole rigmarole of um the baby jars the baby milk like i say and so on and so forth we landed back in newcastle airport in the early hours of the morning, tired, you know, whatever, thinking about, well, at least I haven't got to get, I've got baby jars at home, I'm not worried if they're broken, yeah. whatever. And he was six at this point. Mm -hmm. Comes through, you know, the um, the arrivals and whatever, gets at the Newcastle airport and he just said, will you go and get me a sausage roll at Greg's? Hmm, right. So I'm like, you're talking about but we won't make a big thing of this yeah because we'll go and get the sausage roll he actually took the sausage roll out of the bag and ate without choking ate every crumb yeah and then said can i have another one yeah which you must you had to be there we were just watching like it was you couldn't didn't even want to breathe in case we knocked him you know, yeah. knocked him off. And that was a kind of breakthrough. He didn't go on then to eat completely normally and get home and say, right, mm -hmm. I'll have fish and chips or whatever. It was just um, a gradual thing. We went back to baby jars. He mm -hmm. would have that through his tea, but then he would introduce like, something stuff. new. And of course, that was kind of the turning point. But there is also techniques that you can work through with children who have problems surrounding food. And when Jay was at school, in his um, reception year and his year one, he had an absolutely magnificent teacher mm -hmm. who I must give a shout out to, the very wonderful Gemma Kendall, mm -hmm. um, who is still friends to this day. Now, she went above and beyond outside of her duty as a teacher and the duty of care she had at school. She became a personal friend and would actually come to our house mm -hmm. and eat tea with Jay. Yeah. Once he had started eating, because he had started eating bits at school, and he he would eat more at school than he did at home because he associated. It was kind of the corridor and putting everything into compartments and box boxes. He yeah. would eat that at school, but baby jar at home and a sausage roll or something. So we had to kind of break that. So she would come and suffer my cooking. Yeah. At the time, wasn't up to much. I think I'm quite a good cook now, but mm -hmm. back then, you know, Gemma, how you survived, I'll never know. She used to come and sit and eat with him. Yeah. And because she was there, 
it kind of broke down that wall. That's amazing for oh, somebody it, to do that. It did, absolutely did. Um, and that was kind of the breakthrough time for us. We'll have just off his own back, like I say, about the sausage rolls, but obviously the work that they that she put in and the other, the other staff. And obviously we worked all hard at home as well because there was certain measures you can take that will help. When Jay was getting um, more used to food and stuff, there is certain types of food he still has an aversion to. And you all because maybe if you've tried these these techniques that we're going to, mm-hmm. if you've tried them with your child maybe half a dozen times, dozen times, and it's still not working, it could be that they just don't like that. Yeah. Like, you know, if somebody's trying to get me, doesn't matter what they're going to do, how they're going to dress liver up, I'm not eating it. Exactly. Because they don't like it. Mm-hmm. And Jay has this thing around crisps. Mm-hmm. He is phobic of crisps. That doesn't probably have anything to do with his autism or any food, yeah, um, foodie fad things. It's probably just is a phobia. But when he was small and he still had this like aversion to food, if I had to take him into a supermarket, which I used to avoid at all costs because smells of breads and things cooking was just horrific for him. But if I had to take him, he would run up and down the aisles in Asda and just rip packs of crisps off the shelves and out yeah. people's baskets and how can he eat filthy, dirty crisps and stuff like that. So there's no way in, in God's earth is he going to um going to eat that. But he still had to be desensitised to it because that phobia is something he's going to come across most days. It's yeah, not like he's... someone being frightened of lightning or sharks or something. Yeah. You don't encounter them any every day. But crisps, would you? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And I think we were talking about this earlier. There's a thing called ARFID, which I should imagine when Jay was little wouldn't have been around then. No, definitely not. It wouldn't have been around yeah. then. And I think for anybody who doesn't know what that is, that is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. Um, and it's just, it was coined in, I think, 2013. It was called Selective Eating Disorder before then. And that is when you're talking about Jay and when I think about Riley, Riley only eats beige, very bland food. So Riley's diet consists of cereal, toast, chips, pizza, um, chicken nuggets, everything's pretty much beige. It's dead boring, but it's what he likes. And to me, that's quite varied compared to a lot of autistic children that I know. It definitely is. That is quite a varied diet, even though he's still got the beige thing going on. Yeah. And the bland foods, that's still quite a good variation on his diet. Yeah. And I think, like, Jay with Chris really doesn't like the look or the feel of fruit. Yeah. So he he has, you know, he'll do anything, not touch a banana or whatever, unless, I, of course, I've got the um, food processor out. He likes to make a mess. It becomes different then because it's not food. It's just mixing yeah. and it's a sensory thing. Doesn't mind touching the inside of the banana, but he doesn't like the outside it's of the banana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who am I to question it? If he doesn't like them, he doesn't have to eat them. I'm not going to make them. Um, I think our food is an eating disorder um, and I think if it's having an impact on their health obviously like you said before you need to seek medical advice about that but it's basically a really strong aversion to certain foods where they don't want to look at them but unlike most people think of eating disorders like anorexia or it has nothing to do with body image nothing to do at all it is just simply that they can't eat that food 
yeah, it's it's all to do with the sensory thing and not the body image. Obviously, that's an entirely different thing. But like you see again, obviously, any child that has problems around food, it needs to be ruled out. Any medical conditions that that they do have that might be kind of preventing this, and also I think as well, it would we we'll have to look at kind of outdated attitude where people would say they'll eat it if they're hungry. No, they won't. If they won't, they definitely won't. If this problem surrounding food is because of um, ARFID, yeah. autism, you can leave that food there, the cows come home and they will not touch it. So I think we've got to kind of look at that. This is not just a child who's a picky eater. It's not just a child who's trying to be controlling and making work for you as a you know as as a parent it's a whole different ball game and we need to get our mindset out of there you know they'll eat when they're hungry they are just being picky you know because that it's a, it's a whole different ball game it is yeah and that but but you can understand um how much worry it must cause to a parent or a grandparent whose child literally only eats two types of food massive amount absolutely massive amount my mother i mean she was you know beside herself as we all were um both of his grandmothers you know that this is not what normally happens and certainly not in the older son that didn't happen at all you know we would just like eat mm -hmm. it was a nice thing to do he could be rewarded with food as grandmothers tend to do oh look you know as soon as you walk in the door you want, want to be fed and so that wasn't a kind of option with jay so it was very difficult for him to get the head around and the fact that he was basically just skin and bone at one point had to always have trousers that had to be adjusted and with them being really tall they were always short in the leg but he couldn't keep them up on his waist and we had to have yeah. the elastic inside that you know adjusted and stuff and it was it was just really quite a um an, an, an awful time for us as um as his family really mm -hmm. not so much for him i guess about although times like i see he did want to eat that must have been pretty traumatic for him and being around all of this food but more for us as a family really i think yeah i know i mean i'm a feeder um you know me i look like i've been fed too much <laughs> but like my teen at the moment i mentioned last week he's laid up with a broken leg and as his mom, I'm constantly saying, do you, do, you, do you want us to get you something to eat? Do you want something nice? And it's that kind of, it, it feels like we're doing, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. it it's, it's, like it's like showering love yeah. through food, That's isn't it? Right. That's the first thing you do. Can I, can I get you something? Oh, have a nice biscuit. That's mm -hmm. how we kind of show affection and try and, and try and spread comfort really, isn't it? It's yeah. a cold comfort eating thing, but we're trying to push our comfort eating onto people, yeah. you know? But I um, think it, it can become a problem as well, though. You can get children who will avoid going into certain situations because food is there. Exactly, yeah. And I know when Riley was in nursery, um, mainstream nursery nightmare for Riley, um, we managed to get him in somewhere where I had some fabulous teachers in there who were well versed in Makaton and, and different different techniques and um Riley didn't eat there. He didn't want to eat there. And they did this thing where they put a little desk in a chair in the corridor and so you know just so he was in the throng of it but not in the middle of it. And the edge just closer and closer over weeks. 
And by the time we were two months in, he was in the same room as the other kids having his dinner. I mean, he only ate garlic bread, nothing else. But, you know, you celebrate the wins. You pick your battles. If he's had garlic bread, if he's had eight slices of garlic bread, I'm not bothered. Sometimes he puts Nutella on it. It's disgusting. But he likes it. But he likes it. And eventually he got to the point where he was he was quite happy. Like that was dinner time and he would go into that room and he would sit. He didn't sit in amongst them. He was always on the fringe. He was always on the outskirts. But he managed to transition into that. Yes. Yeah. Because I, as his mom, I was terrified that this phobia would be something that really overtook his life. Um, because, you know, things like eating disorders and that are, can be attached to anxiety. Um, conditions like OCD, um, autism, you know, off it's really kind of attached to yeah, that. From what I've yeah. from what I've read, it's a coexisting condition or can be a coexisting condition. Um, but sometimes, and I think this needs to be said really loudly, sometimes they just don't like that food. Well, that's, that's what I was saying. Like, yeah. you know, there's foods that everybody doesn't like. And as I said before, you can try and play all the games you like and, and hide whatever. But if I don't like yeah. it, you're not having it. So we can't lose sight of the fact that, you know, the, first and foremost, these are children. Yeah. These are children and this is one. But I think it's it was a very interesting point you made there about how at, the, at nursery that Riley was encouraged in the school to sit near them and a little bit closer and a little bit that I had an absolutely horrific experience it wasn't with my wasn't with my son but I happened to um it was a mainstream nursery I happened to be in there and um there was a, a child there who had autism at snack time all the kids were expected to stand around mm-hmm. this table and have bits of fruit whatever this particular day is apples slices of apples mm-hmm. now bear in mind i knew at this point basically everything it is to know about a child who is autistic that has these problems around the food mm-hmm. at this point i'm very very fearful for my son because of his underdeveloped um gagging reflex yeah that i have to be careful so this little girl it was obviously so distressed from distressing because she was being made to stand in a group yeah which is you know, horrible at the best of times because of, a, of our sensory problems and eat a slice of apple. Oh, that's awful. It, it should never be yeah. made to do with anything like exactly. that. Exactly. And it was kind of like I pointed out that this was, must, it was a horrific ups- experience for her. And had they explored her problems around food and did they know about her gagging and choking reflex? Mm-hmm. No, no, she couldn't be allowed to win. And to me, that was horrific. And it's archaic attitudes like that. Yeah, it's vile. That is absolutely vile and shouldn't be allowed to, to want. It's not a one-size-fits-all no. in, in, in educational settings. It cannot be. No. It shouldn't be. And, of course, this is what we're working towards. Yeah, it's trying to educate. I mean, a lot of mainstream schools, I think, you know, Riley doesn't particularly have a problem with, like, noisy environments. Unexpected noises is a big problem, but say you've got a you've got a school dinner hall, and you've got one child that is anxious, doesn't want to eat. It could be the surroundings that are the problem, and making them little tweaks. Like Riley moved into the school dinner hall, whereas maybe that child needs to be allowed some space to eat outside of the dinner hall and make a space available for them. Tiny little tweaks can make a massive difference. Exactly, and in the big scheme of things. 
Does it matter? No. Probably not. So moving on from there, we've got like a child or a grandchild who um, has these eating problems. They're autistic and they, they have problems around food. There's certain things we can do that might help. Mm-hmm. So lots of things we tried um, with G and some of them did, did help. First of all, I found it was just better not to make mealtimes a battleground. Mm-hmm. Your stress level rises, your child's stress level rises, and this is not going to um, be great conditions for any no. groundbreaking food intake. Stay calm. It's not the end of the world if you don't eat that you know, yeah. food that you've put there. It's just one day. Yeah. The next day might be better. The next meal might be better. The next day they might get up and eat. You just don't know. So it's just keeping that calmness about it and not making a big deal around food. And, oh, have you ate? How much have you ate? The anxiety levels. Yeah. The child's anxiety is going to be already high because it's mealtime. Yeah. So let's not make a big deal. The child doesn't want to sit down with you as a family to eat. Is that a problem? Yeah. If they're going to eat separately, if they want to sit in the living room, if they want to sit underneath the table, at this point that like you said before, count your wins. This is not a big problem and we should get out of that yeah. kind of mindset, I think. Conform into the normity, isn't it? That's what it is. Yeah. It's how people expect you to eat. Like we've never been one of them families that sit around the table, never. And I mean, I'm going back, Alex is like in his mid, he's mid twenties now and he's at yeah. university. I've never, ever done it. We've always been like that family that sits and eats the tea, watching the telly. And, but you know, I've got friends who have always done that at five o'clock. It's tea time and that this is where we sit and things are in jugs. Very posh to me, very alien to me. That's but you know, some families too. do actually do that. Do yes. Wow. And I just think, you know, we just eat. I have. I can't eat in front of Riley. I mean, it, I've widely said this in the blog. I sometimes have to eat my tea. I, I go on the seven or eight stair up so that I can run away with the play because if he catches us, he's going to throw it. Yeah. So sometimes I eat before he comes in from school. Other times I wait until he's watching a DVD and then I might eat something in the kitchen. So meal times in our house are all over the place anyway. So it makes no difference to us whether we're all sat at the table or not. No. No. Okay. So our family as well, we've never been really one uh, like yours. We're seen sitting around tables and stuff. We haven't been able to because people work different shifts. Yeah. It's a bit like Central Station. Mm -hmm. The only time we've been doing this really is during... um, the lockdowns yeah because there has been furlough and we've had the chance to kind of like eat together so that, that's been great but that's that's another kind of like thing Ooh, what did you talk about well it was a bit weird if yeah. we actually had to talk to each other yeah you know mm. and it wasn't just shouting each other like over the top of the tv or saying like sure if i'm listening to this yeah it was like talking to each other which was like you know mm-hmm. a bit odd but however you know, I've been the really good mother I am. Um, actually, some of the conversations been all right. I've quite good crack the kids. I never thought they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. I think we quite might like each other. Ish. You know? Good stuff. Yeah. So anyway, sitting around the table and whatever, people used to say to me when she was small, "You need to sit down. You just need to, you need to eat together because he needs to say this is like the normal. This mm-hmm. is the social normally and about the knife and fork and we're sitting all eating together." 
No, we don't. That would be a horrific situation to put him in. He doesn't need to see people eating and using knife and fork. He knows this yeah. is what you do. This is this is not him being kind of a feral sort of yeah cat that needs to be trained. Yeah, it's just an absolute kind of fear and of the sensory thing that he has. So no, that wasn't for us. What what was good was starting to play with food. Mm-hmm. I know people would say years ago, oh, don't eat that up and you don't play with your food and you don't do this. That's wrong. We used to do, um, at first we used to put things that he wanted, mm-hmm. so um, little toys and things, into cooked pasta mm-hmm. so that he had to actually, eventually, he wanted it and found that's not too bad, to actually feel the it, textures, put your hands in and get it. Mm-hmm. So that's all right. And different kinds of things like that. like. Um, Custard, yeah, angel delight. I mean, it used to be such a holy mess, but it doesn't really matter because no. that's a win for that day. Put your hands in. Then when that moved on a bit, you've got the touching, and then it's the smelling, mm-hmm. and then eventually, can we put it on my lips? Yeah, maybe we can, maybe we can't. You know, it's a step too far that day. To, the next day, we'll do it. Yeah, maybe. no pressure, no pressure. Put it on the lips, and then actually on the toe mm-hmm. until. You get used to it. You have to get used to taste. Yeah. You're not going to taste something one day, especially if it's been ingrained into your brain and into your body that you've only had one or two tastes in the whole of your life. Yeah. You're not going to suddenly, you know, do that. So it has, it's very, very slowly. Um, playing with the food, eventually, if you're sitting down, eating together, not as a whole family, but even if it was just me and Jay, mm-hmm. he might not eat that. But if he's poking around with his fingers into the food mm-hmm. or poking around with the knife and fork, he's still in that environment. He hasn't kicked it off the table. Mm-hmm. This is big, big strides that we're making. So obviously we get to the point where you ask for a sausage roll when you get off the plate. Yeah. And that took, that took until he was six years old. Yeah. Of, of food kind of therapy of Gemma like eating with mm-hmm. her you know and he, but so he would willingly out of his own fruition say yeah this this, this is this is what I want to eat mm-hmm. but now he's obviously he's 20 years old now um what's what's like a normal tea for Jay now comes home from college what does he want to see for his tea lots Lots. Lots of whatever. He still has his favourites. Mm-hmm. So if you were to ask him and say every day what do you want, it would follow the same pattern if you mm-hmm. had his way. Um, and it would involve a lot of fish cakes, yeah, still chicken nuggets, sausage mm-hmm. rolls and stuff like that. So, you know, I'll just say this is what we're having. And it's put down and he eats. Again, beige, isn't it? It is again beige. But the spaghetti isn't beige and spaghetti is uh, yeah. for years. Yes. He just likes orange things, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, he he might like burn things, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he would just he'll he he will have anything. Mm-hmm. He'll have anything, it's not a problem. He doesn't have problems surrounding food apart from, from crisps now. Um you go and eat out for a meal, obviously he has that. But what we still do is because he eats but to him, it isn't an enjoyable, I wouldn't say, I'm going to say an enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. It's not something he would say, oh, it's a special occasion, let's have a meal, or oh, you know, I'd like a nice steak today because whatever, it's my birthday or Easter Sunday or something. It's like necessity. Mm-hmm. 
So whilst he'll sit and he'll eat, he knows he has to and he does enjoy what he's eating. It's not exactly, he's not foody and he never ever will be yeah. going, oh yeah, I want to try this out because I've heard the food is fantastic. It's not. And then if we were eating out, once he's finished eating, he will go on to his iPad yeah. or his phone. Now a lot of people say, oh, I wouldn't have that because you're making social. No, he might be 20, but he still has the same social anxiety he still mm-hmm. has the sensory processing and if he's sitting and that's how he gets through the rest of the meal after he's eating all well and good yeah to me this is good i haven't got a problem with it so do you just say it's just fuel for his it's tank fuel. isn't it's it fuel for his tank some fuel is better than others mm-hmm. and you just eat like basically anything i kind of give him yeah, because, I mean, your taste changes well over the years, don't it? Yeah. Like, as a child, oh, beer. But as an adult, oh, beer. It becomes a very different thing, doesn't it? So your taste buds must change. Not that you should be given beer to children. But, you know, mm, yeah. being dragged up in the 70s, I'm sure we were given the odd sherry, you know, New Year's Eve, yeah, get them you know. to sleep. But, um, yeah, it's kind of, your, your taste buds do change. But I tell you what, is more frustrating what does change and i wish they'd stop it and we touched on it before is packaging just leave it alone massive problem like yeah. riley used to eat muller corners all the time it, they were one of his favorite things they changed the packaging he will not even put one finger on a muller corner packet now he won't go anywhere near them and like i wish i understood why because it's not just that, you know, like I've been on a quest to find a Nutella to see if I can dupe them, and I found one. Oh, I nice. found one, and it's called Nutoga, and it's from Lidl. And he doesn't, unless he sees the jar, if he sees the jar, it's not going on his toast. But if I can get the toast done before he comes into the kitchen, he doesn't know the difference know between the difference. that and Nutella. And that's the first product that I've found that I can substitute. Well, that's excellent because substituting things or trying to, mm-hmm. I think it should be um, brought into into earlier. And it's something I wish that when we were working with Gianni's eating, that we had done. Because like you say, one small change, mm-hmm. one small change to an ingredient, one small change to the packaging, sometimes even the adverts, mm-hmm. that's it. I remember when they used to do um, the fruit shoots, they used to have a blue top round. They might still yeah. do, but now it's predominantly green. Yeah. But we couldn't get the blue. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing about the fear. People people don't understand, do they? Oh, my God, yes. I used to have um, nightmares because we couldn't get the green, the the blue tops. Yeah, the blue tops. I know with us, like, one of the biggest problems with Riley is he likes a McDonald's Happy Meal. Um, He has them probably more than he should. um, But they're the one thing that I can guarantee that he will eat. Um, when they were closed at the beginning of lockdown, uh, you know, uh, how am I going to cope with this? Like, he's not going to eat anything, but he just moved on to margarita pizzas and that became the uh, the staple for him. But even if the Happy Meal box isn't closed properly, or if there's a tear in that box, he won't eat the food that's inside it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Whereas me other kids, if the box was torn, so what? They're interested in what's inside, not the outside. But for Riley, that's a massive deal. Yeah. And we've had to drive back to McDonald's on numerous occasions to get a different meal 
that's in a pristine box. Yeah. Which is just nuts to me, but it, it it's a big it's deal the whole for him. It's a package thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's not just the in, it's not just the food inside. That's probably secondary. Yeah. The food inside, it's just the whole kind of packaging experience, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I've had full um I've had cartons of pop thrown at us across the across the floor <laughs> in McDonald's and it's for McDonald's a vouch for that because when I've sat down at the table the, the flap hasn't been tucked into the Happy Meal box properly there you go and you see and that would put the fear of God into you because you know what's coming you're, exactly. you're, you're going to get a shampoo anytime soon <laughs> and probably the person sitting behind you yeah it's a good job of good customers I mean he has let himself behind the counter numerous times you know to help and things like that so yeah I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure that they're more than welcome to help. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but like I say, it is important just to reiterate again: if your child does have problems around food, it is vitally important you don't assume and that you do get medical advice about that. Yeah, and I'm going to drop some good articles on Orfid, on Pika, and things like that on our Facebook page um, and in our grandparents group. And on that note, next week, next week, we are going to talk about something massively, massively exciting, holidays. Holidaying with Riley. What an experience. Yeah. <laughs> so until then, thanks for listening.